I'm Emma G. Rose, author of Contemporary Fantasy and Mythological Weirdness. I'm Shelley Shearer, author of Urban Fantasies and Cozy Mysteries. Welcome to Indie Book Talk. Join us as we explore the expanding universe of indie books. Hello and welcome back to Indie Book Talk. Today we have something a little different for you. We're talking to Libby Klein, the author of the Poppy McAllister Mysteries, and Libby is actually traditionally published. Ooh. Also, in other news of uh, things that are different, I don't know where Shelly is. So we're going to do this one without her. And if she shows up, it'll be a surprise. So Libby, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Before we get too deep into here, tell me about Poppy McAllister. What, who is this person? What is she doing? So Poppy is a plus-sized, middle-aged widow who returns to her hometown of Cape May, New Jersey, to help her best friend Sawyer at the high school reunion face off against the bullies who tormented them growing up. One of the bullies ends up dead in front of Poppy's old locker, and the other bully arrests her for the murder. And so now she's stuck in Cape May, which she calls Beach Hell, because being a plus-size redhead that burns under a a street lamp is not good beach fare. And she's got her black smoke Persian, Sir Figaro Newton, who's very, very naughty. And her great aunt Ginny, who might be certifiably crazy. And they're supposed to be keeping her in line. So I'm hearing that this is kind of a funny story. It is most definitely a very humorous, cozy series. Awesome. But I'm also wondering... Is there any element of wish fulfillment happening here? You know, going back and facing your bully and all of that? Definitely. So in the first book, Class Reunions Are Murder, the author, Libby, wanted to go back in time and sort of write about some of the mistakes that I've made, some of the mistakes that Poppy made in her life. You know, we make decisions and we don't realize that when one door opens, you close a bunch of others. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to kind of go back and have a redo. I put Poppy in the situation where she didn't really choose to go back. She kind of got stuck there. But it was just sort of a way of, of revisiting some of those past places where life went off the rails and sort of seeing what if. Since we're talking about doors opening and closing, let's address the elephant in the room, which is that you are traditionally published. Correct. Did you ever consider indie publishing or was it always, yes, I'm going to get an agent and do the query letters and go through that process? So I will be just brutally honest. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I had sort of these ideas rolling around in my head where I thought I really would like to maybe write this down. I mean, I'd spent so many nights awake all night, unable to sleep, just sort of playing out the scenarios and the story in my head, which is something that I've done with movies and TV shows and books that I didn't like the endings of. And (laughs) when I I told my husband I'd like to try to write a book, he immediately jumped on it and said, oh, my God, you would be fabulous. You have to. So I started and was terrible. I mean, I'm very funny. My scenes were very funny, but I didn't know how to build a plot. So I would have had every chapter would have been a a delightful vignette with absolutely no greater purpose. 
And I took a couple of lessons. I worked with a writing coach who showed me how you structure a novel, what a three-act structure is, and how you build a scene. When we were finished working together, I had a finished book. It was kind of like taking a college class where all of the homework is your book. And I wanted validation more than anything. Mm. I went with traditional because I wasn't trying to build a career as a writer. I wasn't trying to control my series or make the higher percentage of profits. I just wanted somebody who knew what they were talking about to say, wow, that's really good. And I went through the process of querying an agent, which made me deeply regret everything I have just said. (laughs) I had made a horrible mistake. The most... um, sophisticated thing I have ever written in my life is a query letter. Oh, those are hard, aren't they? They, I mean, every (sighs) agent wants something different and they want it spaced with like 13.2 points of Georgia type (laughs) face on peach colored paper that smells like cinnamon. And they want the first 13 and a half pages. And you're like, this can, is there nothing consistent I sent a few out with spelling words that were spelled wrong because I, I, I am getting more and more dyslexic as I get older and I don't notice that that's spelled wrong. So I think I sent one out to an agent A and sent the second one out to agent B, but directed to agent A, same name as the other one. Uh-huh. Well, I know I had quite a few that ended up in someone's trash before they even got off the subject line. But That's a very relatable story. I feel like anyone who's ever queried, and I did query early on in, in my career, anyone who's ever queried has had that exact experience of like, what am I even doing? Well, and I made some mistakes with who I chose to query. Mm. You know, I sort of said, well, okay, we're going to pick the biggest agents who mm-hmm. have big clients that I know and love, and I'm going to go after them. They have to live in New York. That's where all the publishing is done. <laughs> so I queried about 30 agents. I went against the advice of my writing coach. Mm-hmm. He said, don't query any agents after October 15th because they're all going on vacation. And they're Mm. basically not going to look at anything for the rest of the year. And I was like, I don't believe that. I'm querying all of them. I got nothing but rejections. And some of them came so fast. You know when the rejection comes in, as soon as you send and receive, that they haven't read squat. Right. They just don't care. They're not interested. And um, I got one really, I I found an agency that I really identified with. The name of the agency, everything that they said that were their favorite things in life. I was like, oh my God, I totally fit here. Mm -hmm. So I tailored a good query letter and I sent it out and I got a very thoughtful response that basically said, it sounds fabulous and your sense of humor sounds great. But, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. All I have here is 30 year old guys out of college and none of them identify with a middle aged plus size widow to work on your book. And that's when I went, huh, that makes a lot of sense. You got to query agents who are going to identify with the material, not just I'm looking for cozies. I'm looking for romance novels. 
you know, if if you got a middle-aged widow is your protagonist, don't try to query a 20-year-old. So my next round, I queried all older women who didn't necessarily have a big list. And by older, believe me, I don't mean old. I think my agent would punch me in the neck right now. She's probably in her (laughs) mid-30s. But I steered away from like the 20 year olds who have just started yesterday and got out of high got out of college, you know, last week. I said, all right, look, I'm done with that because they don't know what I'm talking about. And I mm-hmm. stopped querying men because of my protagonist and only because of the protagonist and the story that I was telling. And I got uh, four requests to see the manuscript. Wow. So it made a big difference. So targeting is important. It certainly seems to be. I mean, only having my own experience to judge it by, that made the difference between um, rejections that came within minutes and requests to read the manuscript. And that was a very specific change that I made where Mm -hmm. I started looking for a certain demographic to target. I also uh, targeted in the the first round, I sent a query to an agent who... I loved a series that the agent had represented and the rejection came by mail about a year later to the point where I thought that agent may have died. Like it took so long. I was thinking maybe they died. We should update that website. Came by mail a year later and I was like, oh, okay. I guess somebody just finally got to the envelope. That makes you wonder how many queries must they be getting if it takes a year for them to reject something. Yeah, definitely. Well, I did have a funny story from CJ Box. He had an agent who couldn't sell his book. And he's got a very popular New York Times bestselling series now. But before he got published, he didn't hear from his agent for six months. And then he finally ran into someone at a conference who was like, he died, dude. (laughs) Oh, no. And no one had told him. So the whole time he thinks his agent's trying to sell his book. And his agent's been dead for like months. That's wild. Well, we were talking um, the other day, we were talking to somebody who was talking about being an orphaned author, mm-hmm. um, you know, where something happens to your agent and or to your editor yeah. within your publishing house, and then you don't have representation anymore. And that, I was like, oh, <laughs> that's that's not fun. So there are a lot of places where the, the ball can be dropped. Definitely. There's quite a few authors who were orphaned a couple years ago. One of the publishing houses went out of business mm-hmm. and all, I had quite a few friends who had series through Midnight Inc. And all of a sudden they're, they're done. They're just done they're, And they have the, the, when the company goes out of business, you can't really continue to work on things. Like it's hard to get back your rights to the book to go somewhere else. Because mm-hmm. there's no one to fight. <laughs> They're gone. Right. So I know people were successful in getting their rights back, but it was a much, much bigger fight than if, say, they just weren't going to publish you anymore. So let me ask you this. I always wonder about this with people who are traditionally published. How much of your marketing and your author website and all of that stuff is you doing it or somebody that you pay to do it? And how much is the publisher managing that for you? Okay. Well, I don't really know the answer as far as percentages. What I can tell you is when I got my contract, it was listed things that they wanted me to do. They wanted me to 
get a presence on social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Those were the big three. And in anywhere else that you can make a platform, they're all for it. Now, if you were a nonfiction writer, unless you are a celebrity with a following, you you have a very hard time getting published unless you have a huge social media presence. It's not the same when you write fiction, but now that they're going to publish you, they want you out there because they want you promoting it. I had to agree to build a website and to create, I guess the publisher creates an account on BookBub for your books, but you have to go in there and claim and say, yes, I'm Libby. Okay. So you're doing all the the actual work here, like doing the social, setting up the website. I think that's a big misconception among, um, especially like people at the beginning of their indie author journey. They think that if they're they're going to query and they're going to get an agent and they're going to get a publisher and then their publisher is just going to handle it. I think even if you get like a six figure deal, you're mm-hmm. still expected to do all of it. Now you can take your six figures and pay somebody. There are author assistants, which I don't have. But unless you are paying somebody to do all of those things for you, you are the one in charge of posting your reviews on Amazon that link to your book. Uh, you, you get an author, Amazon Author Central account so that you can post your own reviews and links to videos and whatnot. You take charge of your BookBub and your Goodreads account as the author. You know, they know you're the author. And I maintain my website and I started a newsletter a year ago, and uh, you maintain your newsletter. So I do all of it. But here is what they do for me. The single most important thing that a traditional publisher does, and, and it has to it has to be a credible traditional publisher, they get you in a bookstore. Mm-hmm. I don't know the numbers, the data, but once the pandemic started and the drop in sales for every traditionally published author would indicate that a large number of sales come from people simply browsing in a bookstore. Oh, absolutely. And I know I have friends who are published traditionally, but with very small independent publishers, they're not in bookstores. So there's a difference even with within the world of traditionally published authors of traditional publishers, because my publisher is with Penguin Random House You can walk into any brick and mortar bookstore. And while I may not guarantee be on the shelf, I'm in their catalog. Like if I'm not on the shelf, maybe somebody just bought me. Maybe they have to order more. Maybe they don't like me and don't want to order me. But the point is I'm in their stock if I'm not sitting right there. Whereas if I'm not in their stock, I would have to work a deal you know, ask the the store owner, can you get anything from Penguin? Do you order from Penguin? If not, can I bring in books on consignment, which I'm sure indie authors know about, you know, consignment, selling your books in a brick and mortar bookstore. Well, we also have, um, like if you, depending on how you're published, if you're published through or distributed through Ingram, then Theoretically, my local Barnes and Noble or Books a Million could order copies of my book directly from the distributor. Um, and most of them do have that Ingram account. The difference is I think Penguin and, you know, those other major publishers are 
definitely being more straightforward about like, look, we are a major well-known publishing house. You can trust us that our books are good and you can order a bunch from us. And Mm -hmm. I think it's just a different perception in a lot of ways. But yeah, that's a huge advantage to be able to, to kind of know that if a bookstore has the room, you're probably on the shelf. Well, and I get people send me pictures all the time. Uh, They're called Books in the Wild. Mm-hmm. Whether they're in a Barnes and Noble or a Books a Million or a little independent bookstore, once it was even a grocery store, they'll send me. Oh. I, mean, I didn't actually know that was possible with books that are new, but they'll send me pictures. Look, I found a Libby Klein in the wild, so that's fun. Have you ever gotten a picture of somebody uh, re- like reading your book in the wild, like Ooh. on an airplane or somewhere like that? Yep, yep, I sure have. Oh, that's super fun. It is fun. It's a. I get. The number one thing I get from people when I get fan mail is I was reading your book and then you can insert a place that's inappropriate. (laughs) Laughing out loud. Like I was on an airplane, on a bus, on a train, at the dentist office, sitting at work. And I was laughing so hard. People kept saying, what are you laughing at? That's the opposite of what I get. I get messages that are like, how dare you make me cry in the doctor's office? No, I get all the time. I mean, I think once a week. Oh, my God. I was laughing so hard. Somebody said to me, what are you laughing about? So that's funny. They they should take your book and then just go back and forth between us. There <laughs> you go. Yeah, read one page and then the other and yeah. you should balance out. That's funny. <laughs> the other marketing that my publisher has done is I am sometimes in in advertisements, like in Women's World Magazine at the cash register or in a book, like some little magazine maybe. In my case, it would be like, say, gluten-free living. I don't don't think I've ever been in gluten-free living, but just as an example, I have shown up in magazines um, where it's appropriate with the theme of the book. Um, Mm. There's a couple other like little women's magazines, things that I've never, never heard of. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, I, sh- I show up in ads in there. We're not talking like good housekeeping. So this is advertising, though, not like PR. Like they're not helping you get an interview with a magazine or something like that. Or are they? They have. I've been okay. um, interviewed in a couple publications. I've been written up in Mystery Scene magazine. Um, they will do the virtual, virtual book tours. I've had, let's see, in six books that have released, I've been on three virtual book tours. And a virtual book tour means that for a two-week period, your book is going to be promoted on a different blog every day for the two weeks, sometimes on two. Now, that's very exciting until you find out that everything that's said about your book, you're the one who wrote it. So now (laughs) you get homework. Here's four interviews for you to fill out. And this one wants you to write a little story about a day in the life of your character. This one wants you to write your own interview, only from the perspective of the cat. So (laughs) it's fun. It's a lot of exposure. It's a lot of work. And you're the one doing it. It's not like this where the person's asking you questions. You actually sit down for days and write up the answers to your interviews. Um, You wish you could write the questions, too, because sometimes you've got three interviews and they're asking the exact same questions and none of them are especially exciting and are going to make your book sound interesting. How did you know you wanted to be a writer? When I got an off, a publisher offered me a contract. That's when I knew. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's dicey. It's definitely a lot. You do a lot of promotion. 
They set up a lot for you. It's a lot of opportunities that I would not have gotten on my own. Mm-hmm. They also, because I'm with Kensington, Kensington is is becoming a leader in the cozy market. And they have put together their own cons, like a Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. It's called a Cozy Con. It's uh, There's four a year. And they are spread out on the four corners of the United States. And you'll bring together, I don't know, somewhere between 30 and 50 authors. A bookstore will host. And it's like a Comic-Con. And it brings in all kinds of people who want to come and talk to us and hear about the books and buy the books and have you sign the books. So they they do more than people think, but you do more than people think too. Right. Well, I think that's also kind of the story of publishing that most people until they're doing it don't realize how much work happens after the book is done. Yeah. I think one of the misnomers or mistakes, if you will, that new authors make, and myself included, is thinking once you've turned in that book that you are going to just be able to live the life of writing books and they're going to sell. And that is so far from the truth. You will see a very direct correlation between the amount of marketing and promoting that you do as an author to your amount of sales. Mm-hmm. Now, if all you say in your promotion is buy my book, buy my book, people turn you off. Right. You have to promote your book and your series through being delightful. <laughs> Love them into buying your book. So the more entertaining and engaging and fun and funny I am, the more books I sell. Maybe for another series, the more deep and introspective and poignant you are, the more books you'll sell. You know, you are your brand, you are your book. So the more that you give them that feel and that experience, they will buy your books. I actually read that recently. I got, you know, I have people who are marketing guru types who uh, in, in the book publishing world, and, you know, I get marketing emails from them. And one of them recently was you're not selling a book. Mm-hmm. You're selling an experience. Yeah. You're selling a state of mind. So what are you trying to get this person to feel? And that's what you're selling, not the book. Yeah. And when I'm myself, people who find me obnoxious, they're not going to like the book. It's more of the same. <laughs> My book sounds like I'm reading it. I don't know how anyone could find you obnoxious. I have to say, before we got on, I went and I read your bio on your website. And I was like, I have to read these because she's hilarious in this little like I don't know how, like 50 words, maybe I laughed like three times. You know, when I first turned that bio in four years ago, my editor at Kensington said, are you sure you don't want to go something more professional sounding? And I said, no, because if they like the bio, they're going to buy the book. Trust me. Yeah, no, this is so yes, everyone go read her bio. If you're if you're wondering, should I buy this book? Should I read it? Go read her bio. And actually, this is a great segue. Where can people find you if they want to keep track of what you're up to? So there's two really solid places. One, if you are on Facebook, not only can you friend me as a person wearing a bright pink blouse, or you can follow me as an author, as a black cat wearing glasses, and you can join the Cozy Mystery Crew, which is a group of 12 of us. And we delight people every day with just doing fun and crazy things. That's one place. Now, if you're not a Facebook person, 
then you can go to my website, LibbyKleinBooks.com, and sign up for my newsletter. I did not want to write a newsletter because I don't like to read newsletters, and I, I don't have a ton of time, but people convinced me to write a newsletter partly because of the changing world of Facebook and social media. And once, if that should go away, how else will you be able to connect with your readers? Right. So finally, I put together a newsletter and mine is, I can't say it's very different because I have no idea what other people's are like, but I can (laughs) say that what people like is that they're not long and they're not about buying anything. I have some kind of a baking because I my series has a gluten-free theme. My protagonist is gluten-free, so all the recipes are gluten-free. And I include a gluten-free recipe with every newsletter. There's also a little something-something about my life, which I don't understand why anybody would care, but (laughs) (laughs) it's something. And they convinced me three months in a row to write about my writing process. And I'm like, that's not even exciting to me. But I did it, and I put in pictures. But I have a character in my series who is a black smoke Persian, Figaro Newton. He's the star of the show, along with the sidekick, Aunt Jenny. Figaro has a self-help column, and every newsletter has where someone has written in Dear Figaro, and they've listed (laughs) a problem, and he has given probably the world's worst advice because it's coming from a cat. Well, that is my newsletter. And then, you know, also I'll highlight another author. I really feel like we do so much more for ourselves when we help each other out than if we compete and uh, try to belittle another author or say, don't read them, read me. So I always highlight another author with a book that they have coming out. Well, and you know, no, especially in cozies, no one can possibly write enough books to satisfy the number of books that readers want to read. It's shocking. They read a book a day. Yeah, there's no competition here. We're all friends trying to do good work. And I want to thank you for coming and doing good work here on this podcast and sharing your insight into what it means to be traditionally published. Um, Everyone seriously go sign up for her newsletter because it is... I just I I just signed up while we were talking. Um mm-hmm. and the pictures of Figaro alone are worth signing up. <laughs> thank you. That's very kind of you. Well, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it and we wish you luck. What is your next book coming out? What's the name of it? So Antique Auctions Are Murder is the seventh book in the series, and it's the height of the summer season at Cape May. Uh it comes out in February. And the one I'm writing right now is Mischief Nights Are Murder, and it's my Halloween book. Awesome. So everyone has time to read uh, the first six before the next one comes out. And sign up for the newsletter because it's hilarious. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you.